Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15 is where we are. If you're visiting this morning, uh, we're really glad to have you with us. We've been going through the book of Titus. Uh, Really, we call it a book, but it's a letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to his friend and brother in Christ, Titus. Uh, Titus is on the island of Crete, and there's a very young church there, and Paul is giving Titus some instructions for himself and for the church and some encouragement as well. Um, So we started this series with Paul's introduction in verses 1 through 4, I think it was, how Paul wanted to see the church grow in their faith and in their deep and intimate knowledge, he says, of the truth. And by truth, what Paul is referring to is actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul says, as you grow in that deep, intimate knowledge of the good news of Jesus, as your heart grows uh, in faith to truly believe deeply, to trust in Jesus and the gospel, then your life will begin to bear the fruit of godliness. Now, the passage that we come to today is right in the middle, or almost right in the middle of this letter, and Paul goes directly to the gospel. He started with the gospel, um, and he gave some instruction, and he gave some warnings, and, and now 27 verses later, he goes back to the gospel again. So, uh, let's unpack that this morning, and I think that we will see in, in these words this morning uh, something that we say a lot here at New City, and I've seen several of our shirts this morning, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything, and I think we see that in these words from Paul. So, chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So here's what I want to do this morning in walking through this. I want to walk through these verses and just unpack them a little bit so that we can see what it is that Paul is saying about the gospel. And then I want to, I want to focus in on one word, one word in these verses that sheds a ton of, of, of light, I think, on this passage, like everything that we've read, really everything that will follow and more, I think it will shed some light on our own lives. So, that's how I want to go through it, right? Talk about the whole thing and then focus on this one word. So, let's start with this. Jesus appeared bringing salvation. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. So, the grace of God has appeared. Who and what is Paul talking about? Come on, say it. Jesus, 100%. Paul is talking about Jesus. This is the good news, right? The grace of God has come in the person of Jesus. Grace took on flesh, like the grace of God took on human flesh, and Jesus 
came. John said it this way in John chapter 1, verse 14. John wrote, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. Amen? That is beautiful. Grace and truth have been manifested for us. Manifested means we can see what grace and truth is, and we see grace and truth in Jesus and in his coming. That's what Paul is reminding the church of. Paul reminds us. That, that, that grace has come bringing salvation for all people, for anyone who believes, who trusts in him. Now, the Bible is really, really clear on this and why this is such good news, that grace has come, that, that, that the, the appearing of grace for the salvation of humanity. The Bible is clear we're all sinners, Every one of us has done wrong, or we have failed to do what is right when we should, when we should have. Like We all know that. And, and here's the truth. Believers and unbelievers alike, Christians and non-Christians alike, all of us know that we have sinned. We all know that we have failed to be good when we should have been good. We, we, we have failed to be good. We've been bad when we shouldn't have been bad. Every one of us knows that. We've lied. We've been jealous. We have been, we've been mean to other people. We've cheated. We've been prideful. We've been angry. We have hated. And the list, you all know it, goes on and on and on. This sin separates us from God, right? This is the bad news. This sin separates us from, from God. And, and, and the truth is we cannot save ourselves. There is absolutely nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Even if we could be good for the rest of our lives, right? Even if we could avoid doing anything bad for the rest of our lives, the truth is that we cannot erase the sin that we have already committed in our lives. So, so, so the bad news is there's absolutely nothing that we can do to bridge the gap that exists between us and God because of our sin, that sin that separates us. But the good news is that God is gracious. God is gracious. And that's what Paul is reminding the church of. God is gracious. Gracious means that he gives us far better than we deserve. A, a, a free gift for us. Not a, not a, not a gift that we've earned, uh, it, but because God is gracious, because God is kind, because God is loving and, and merciful, because of who God is, his character and nature, grace has been given to us. Jesus came for us. Jesus took on the flesh of humanity. Grace came to save us. Grace came to save us, and he did that by living the life that we cannot live, 
right? This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus took on flesh and he lived the human life that we have failed to live. He did that for us. He was, he was perfect and holy and righteous and pure. And, and again, he did that for us. Jesus died the death that we deserve. The wages of sin is what, church? death. It's death. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the reality, the bad news side of it is we all deserve death. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross for us, substituting himself, putting himself in in, in the center of God's wrath so that we would never have to bear that wrath. Jesus took our sin upon himself. Jesus died the death that we deserve. And then, and then beautifully on the third day, he was raised from death, defeating death and sin and Satan. And this too, Jesus did for us. This is the grace of God being poured out for us. And when we believe in that good news, right? That this is what Jesus has done for us. When we, when we trust in that good news, when we, when we cling to him by faith rather than our own works, our own righteousness, our own goodness, then we are forgiven this gift of grace. We are forgiven of our sins and the righteousness of Jesus is granted to us as if we were righteous as if we ourselves were holy when we know that we aren't. This is incredible. Sometimes hard to believe, but this is what Paul is reminding the church of. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has come in the person of Jesus, and he has come graciously to forgive, to redeem, to save us from our sins. But, He has come doing more than that. Jesus did much more. Jesus came training in righteousness, Paul says. For the grace of God, verse 11, has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In Romans chapter 5, the apostle Paul writes this, beginning in verse 17, For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. What what, what Paul is telling us in that chapter is how the first man, Adam, Adam failed and sin entered into the world, and, and his sin was passed on to every generation after him. The second Adam is Jesus. That's who Paul is referring to. The second Adam brings righteousness and holiness. He brings righteousness to reign in the lives of God's people. So that we, we, are, we are made right through Jesus, through our faith and our trust in him. And we talk about this in two ways, y'all. One, we talk about it positionally. And I talk about this a lot, right? When, when, when God sees us in Jesus, he sees us perfectly holy and righteous and pure. He doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as his children, his beloved children. Positionally, that's who we are in Christ. But this is also a, a, a something that happens progressively in our lives. We are to grow more and more into the image of Jesus, the second Adam, rather than the first Adam who, 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 who cursed us with his sin. 
Jesus trains us in righteousness, the Apostle Paul is saying. He trains us to renounce, to to turn from ungodliness and, and worldly desires, and instead, on the positive side, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives just like Jesus did. This is what it means to be shaped into the image of Jesus. This is our progressive sanctification, our progressive, um, we are not just positionally seen as righteous, but we are growing to be more and more righteous in Jesus. Jesus is training us in that. This is the life that we were meant for. I say that, but I want, I, want to, I want to say it again. Like when we were created, this is the life that we were created for. This is how we were meant to live. This is what that means because God wants us to have joyful and full lives. In our brokenness, we don't see it, but the joyful and the full and the satisfying life is the life of walking with Jesus. That's what this means. This is what we were created for, and Jesus, Jesus helps us with that. So, I think there are a couple of ways, there are many, but at least a couple of ways we'll talk about this morning that Jesus trains us, okay? One way that Jesus trains us in righteousness is to show us righteousness. Jesus shows us this life that we were meant to live. He shows us what it looks like in his own life, and we have the Gospels to help us see that in the life of Jesus. He shows us what it looks like to love God rightly above all else in the world, and he shows us, even very, very practically, he shows us what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. These were the two greatest commandments from God. In fact, all of the other commandments from God, including the Ten Commandments, hinge and hang on these two commands. This is what God wants for us, to to love him above all else and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus shows us perfectly how to do that. He, he, He shows us that in his perfect human life. We see it. The second way that he trains us is teaching us. Jesus teaches us. Jesus taught his disciples, right? He taught his disciples what the kingdom of God was like, what it was meant to be like. He taught them verbally, speaking with them what should be and what should not be. He encouraged them. When we read the words of Jesus in the New Testament, we see this. Jesus encouraging his disciples. Jesus correcting his disciples. Sometimes we need to be corrected, and Jesus offers correction. Sometimes Jesus straight up rebuked the disciples, and sometimes we need to be rebuked as well. Jesus taught his disciples, and Jesus continues to teach his disciples through the Bible, his word. So Jesus came. Bringing salvation, Paul reminds us. Jesus came training us in righteousness. And here's another, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And this should impact the way that we live our lives, right? So verse 11, again, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, verse 13, for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 13 says, waiting for the blessed hope. Waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, I I just want to point this out. Um, Jesus is God and referred to as our great God and Savior. Jesus is our great God and Savior. This is a reference to the Trinity, uh, to the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three in one. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God took on flesh and came to be with his people. He is, Jesus is, our great God and Savior. And Paul says he's coming back. This too is great news if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back not as the the slaughtered sheep who died on the cross, but as the glorious king who reigns over all of his creation. He's coming back as the warrior who will fully and finally defeat all of his enemies. Not just his enemies, but our enemies. Human enemies, spiritual enemies, all of our enemies, sin and Satan and even death himself. Jesus, the warrior, God will come. He he will come as the perfect judge. When he returns, he is coming as the perfect judge. One that we have never seen, the perfect, perfect judge, bringing justice to every injustice. He will come as the great physician. As much as I love doctors and as great as doctors are, there is one that is far better. His name is Jesus. And when he comes, the great physician will heal every sickness and disease. He's coming back as the restorer coming back as the restorer, who who in all power will fix everything that is broken, broken in us and broken in the world. His will be a kingdom of righteousness and justice. All of the things that we desire to see in the world now, we will see in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus. A kingdom where there is no more pain and no more loss, no more racism, no more classism, no more hatred and no more fear. He will come. And when he does, he will gather together all of God's children. He will gather together the Father's children and we will see him face to face. And he will make us whole. And we will be with him forevermore together as his people. This is the glory of our coming Savior and King. This is the glory of our great God and Savior. And this, Paul says, is our hope, our confident expectation. This is our hope. Not that we win the lottery, not that we get the promotion at work, not that we find the love of our life, not that we beat this sickness or never get sick. This is our hope. He is coming back and he will fix all of this brokenness. Listen to me, if you're here today, if life is is hard for you and it is filled with sorrow, one day the king is coming back and he will wipe away your tears and he will fix your brokenness. But I want to say something to the rest of you. If life is good for you and it's not all that hard, praise God, one day it's going to be even better. 
one day it will be even better. Like you think this is good and things are okay? And it gets even better than this. Just wait. And what Paul is saying is that we should live in light of this truth. If this is truly our hope, if this is truly our hope, then live in light of that hope. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, waiting. We live this way, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is sort of a summary of 11 and 12. In light of the hope that we have in 13, Jesus came bringing salvation, redeeming us, redeeming us not only from the penalty of sin, but from sin itself, what, what Paul calls lawlessness. Right? A part of the good news is that we have been redeemed from this lawlessness. We've been redeemed from sin. We've been redeemed from sinning and living a life of sin. Again, positionally, the Father sees us as, as pure in Christ, but progressively he is working, and Jesus is training, Jesus is teaching us more and more to be a people who are holy and pure. We are, Paul says, after all, a people of his own possession. We belong to him. We are a people of his possession. We are his people. And we are meant to be zealous, to be zealous not for, not for evil, not for disobedience, but to be zealous for good works, for the good works of our Father. Good works that Paul said in Ephesians 2 were prepared for us before the foundations of the earth. Verse 15 instructs Titus, declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. What is he declaring in these things? Family, I hope you see it. What he is to declare is the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it looks like to live in light of that gospel. Declare that, Titus. Let no one disregard you. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. So I said when we started, I wanted to walk through these verses and see what Paul is saying. We've done that. Incredibly powerful verses from the Apostle Paul. Then I said I want to single or, or focus rather on, on this single word that sheds a ton of light on, on our verses this morning and really um, should shed a ton of light on our lives as well. So I, I want to do that as well. Look at verse 11 again with me. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What is the first word in that verse? For. For. I wasn't real good at this stuff, so don't feel like you have to correct me. I think that's a preposition. Again, don't, don't feel like you have to correct me. I'm not asking for that. I don't care if it's a preposition or not. What I do care about is this word for is connecting two thoughts or ideas. 
two thoughts or ideas. And often, the word for can be translated as because. Because. So, it is telling us the cause of something. So, I I want to think about verse 11 and swap the word because for for in verse 11. So, so if we read it that way, it would be because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to denounce ungodliness and worldly desires, training us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. Because, verse 14, Jesus gave himself for us. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Paul is saying that Jesus' coming and bringing salvation, Jesus is training us, redeeming us, purifying us, making us his people, a people for good works. All of those things are, are, are the reason or the cause for something else. That's what the word for is doing there. It, it, it's saying this, grace appearing is the reason for this other stuff. Grace appearing is the reason for this other stuff. And the other stuff that I'm talking about that I think that Paul is pointing to is everything that we've been reading in chapter 2 up, up until this point. But, but I think we can go all the way back through the beginning of this letter from Paul and say that 4 is pointing to everything that Paul has already said. And I think that it, it will even stand as the reason for everything that follows in the letter. That's why it's beautifully placed right in the middle of this letter. Let me show you, hopefully, what I'm talking about here. Paul opened up the letter by saying in verse 1 that he wanted to see God's people grow in their faith and their knowledge, their deep, personal, experiential knowledge of the truth, the gospel. And then he unpacks it in the verses that we just read, what that gospel is, how that gospel is our hope, how that gospel transforms who we are. He he wanted that knowledge in them to lead to a growing faith and a trust in the gospel. Paul says when that happens, when we grow in, in, in the truth, when we grow in our knowledge and our belief, our faith, our trust in this gospel, then what happens is we grow in our godliness because, skipping to chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, the gospel is more than your sins being forgiven and you going to heaven one day. The truth is that, that yet yes, Jesus came bringing you salvation, but he also came teaching you, teaching you to deny ungodliness, teaching you who you really are in Christ, a people of his own possession, set aside for good works for the Father. Jesus came teaching you. What it means to be a child of God, we see it in his life. He's training us what it looks like to walk with the Father. He's training us 
to deny all ungodliness, to, to live the life that we were meant to live. He's teaching us what is good and what is not. He came, he came forgiving our sins, and that is beautiful, but, 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 but he came doing far more than that. He came leading us to the life that we were meant to live. He came, he came leading us to the, to the place of joy and satisfaction that every one of us desires. He came redeeming us from sin, from lawlessness, and redeeming us to himself as his people. He came purifying us. He came making us holy. He came to make us God's people. That's what he did. He came to make us God's people holy and pure and upright, a people who more and more look like Jesus. Paul is saying that, that, that what Jesus has done and is doing is more than declaring you righteous in the eyes of God. He's teaching you to actually live in righteousness. And you, you will not be functionally perfect and pure and holy and righteous this side of heaven. But every one of us should be growing in our righteousness, growing more and more to look like Jesus. Now, a reminder here, Paul doesn't say in verses 1 through 3 that the, 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 the church is to, to grow um, in being harder working, right? Like, you guys need to work harder to be more like Jesus. That's not what he says, but he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't say that, that you need to be more disciplined so that you can look more like God's people. What, what, what he says is, I want you to know, and I want you to understand, and I want you to believe deeply and personally. That's who you are. You already are that. Live like it. You already are that. Jesus shows you how to live like it. And when you believe that, I don't mean when you give mental assent to it. I mean when you believe that in your heart. When you truly cling to that and believe that in your heart, then the fruit of your faith will be a growing godliness. I hope you see the connection of 1 through 3 with 11 through 14. Believe who he is and what he has done in saving you and purifying you and making you his people. In chapter 2, in chapter 2, in verse 2, Paul writes this, Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Because, we skip again to verse 11, why should we be that? Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession 
who are zealous for good works, live this way because of the gospel. Older men, live this way because of the gospel. Older men, be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and sound in the faith and in love and steadfastness because Jesus has come to make you his own. Older women, be reverent, not slanderers, not gossips, not heavy drinkers. Why? Because Jesus has come to show you and teach you what it looks like to love God above all else and to love people. He's come to redeem you from that lawlessness, to redeem you from that life and lead you to a life with him. And family, he, he is saying, and we talked about it in these, in these verses, teach these things to one another. Teach these things to one another. Older men, teach the younger men and let them see your life growing in holiness. Older women, older women, teach the younger women and let them see you growing more and more to look like Jesus. Why? So you can win points with God? No. So you can be better than the people around you and show yourself to be more holy than they are. No. Because it is your duty as a good person, you have to do these things. No, no, no. No. It is because you have received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the grace of God has appeared. This is why. This is why you live this way, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, our confident expectation, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from those lawless deeds and to purify for himself a people, his people, a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Declare these things. Titus, listen to me. Declare these things to one another. Proclaim the beauty of the gospel to one another. Declare these things to one another. Exhort one another in these truths. Rebuke one another when that is necessary. And let no one disregard you when you stand firmly on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hear me this morning. How we live our lives is rooted in the good news of the gospel. The grace of God has appeared. Maybe a better way of saying it is how we live our lives flows from, it is the overflow of what we truly believe about the gospel. And I want to say it again, when I say truly believe, I'm not talking about mental assent or head knowledge. I'm talking about the knowledge of verses 1 through 3 from the Apostle Paul, that deep, intimate, personal knowledge. I'm talking about a heart that clings to that truly, truly as our only hope. 
how we live our lives flows from what we believe about the gospel, about, about who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, about who he has made us to be in Christ. When we remember, when we believe the things that we have talked about today with regards to the gospel, when we truly believe that good news, then the gospel changes everything in our lives. That's what those shirts mean. The gospel changes everything. It, 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 It changes who we are. We are no longer strangers and enemies. In Christ, we are his people. We are not just forgiven of our sins, but the Holy Spirit is working in us, and Jesus is teaching us to grow in our holiness and our purity, more and more being shaped by him into the image of Jesus, the perfect man, living the life that we were meant to live. It changes, it changes who we are, his people, yes. It, it changes who we are. We are family. We are family with one another. Family together in Christ. It, it, it changes our purpose. The gospel changes our, our purpose. We are, we are made for his mission. And, and, and hear me on this. When, when our hope is truly... The coming, the coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ in all of his glory. When, when that is our hope and our confident expectation, I promise you, the pursuits of the world come in a distant second. Power, place, money, the right neighborhood, the right car. Those are all the things that we pursue when our hope is in the here and now. The gospel changes everything. We, we are made for, for his mission, a, a, a mission to those outside of his family who one day will be a part of his family, and, and, and a mission to one another. Right? I, I say this Often, this isn't a a spectator religion. And and I don't want this to be all that New City is where where I I stand up and teach. That's not the way it's meant to be. We teach one another because we're family. We disciple one another because we're family. We care for one another because we are family. This is what the gospel changes in us. Give ourselves to one another, to to teaching, to encouraging, to caring, to serving, to serving. To helping others inside the family and outside the family live in light of the gospel. Say it again. When we truly believe it, the gospel changes everything. So, so what do I want you to do today? I want you to believe. I want you to believe the, the, the beautiful news of the gospel.
If you're here as an unbeliever, then I want you to believe the gospel. Be forgiven and be free from your sin and become a child of God and a part of this beautiful family. And if you're here as a believer, you know what I want? I want the same thing that God wants. I want you to believe the gospel for every area of your life. When we truly believe the gospel, it changes us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this reminder of just how beautiful the gospel is. The reminder that you, with the appearing of grace, have changed everything. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to believe whether that be the, the, the first time today for an unbeliever, Holy Spirit, move that they might believe. And for us, Father, as, as believers, those who, who do believe the gospel, help us to believe it more deeply. Help us to grow in, in our deep knowledge and understanding of the truth of the gospel, how great it is how far-reaching it is, how the gospel changes everything. Help us to grow in our knowledge. Help us to grow in our faith, to truly, truly believe. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.